We're going to finish tonight, God willing, the letters to the churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, and we're looking at the seventh letter, the letter to the church of Laodicea, verses 14 to the end of the third chapter. And here was a rich church, a large church, a well-resourced church. It looks good on paper, and yet... This is the church that is criticised most by the Lord Jesus Christ. And her problem is not that she's cold, definitely not that she's spiritually hot, but that she's lukewarm, apathetic. It's better to be cold, to be aware of our spiritual poverty and need. It is even better, of course, to be on fire for our saviour. But the worst place to be is lukewarm. Jesus uses a very graphic language in the authorised version. He says, verse 16, because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. I think the New King James has sanitised it a bit. Uh, Just as lukewarm tea. You can drink hot tea, you can even drink iced tea, but lukewarm tea, it makes you sick. And that's the kind of reaction Jesus has to lukewarm Christians, that we think everything is all right, and yet we don't realise our need of him. May the Lord deliver us from lukewarmness. Now we're going to finish the letter to the church in Laodicea and the seven letters with this wonderful invitation that Christ has. Very famous words in verse 20, verse 20 of Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, I first heard this verse preached on in a mission. I can't remember if it was Roger Carswell. I definitely heard him in a university mission many decades ago now. And many of you will probably uh, think of the words of Jesus here as addressed to an unbeliever that Jesus is standing outside of the heart of the non-Christian, and he is inviting himself to come in. Now, there is nothing wrong, I think, nothing wrong in applying the words in that way. But the problem you've got is that Jesus isn't addressing unbelievers here. He is speaking to his church, to his church. And that's how we're going to look at this invitation tonight and we will realize that it is a wonderful wonderful promise to us if we feel that we are not what we are supposed to be my first point is quite a frightening one but this is the situation of a lukewarm church like Laodicea Christ is outside now the picture here is of a guest outside the door wanting to come in for a meal 
And there's a famous picture. I don't know if you've seen it. Apparently, it hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral. And it's by Holman Hunt. And it's called The Light of the World. And it's based on this verse. It shows Jesus Christ holding a lantern in one hand and knocking at the door uh, with the other hand. And uh, the door uh, hasn't been opened for a long time because there's a vine growing <laughs> on the door. And he's wearing a crown of thorns. And there's something very poignant about that picture. And it's not unbelievers, but a backslidden church that Jesus Christ is addressing. Jesus Christ is standing, as it were, outside of the backslidden church. The Laodiceans, they haven't believed heresy. They are not guilty of immorality, not gross immorality anyway, but they've become so self-sufficient that they have neglected Jesus Christ. So he's outside. We'll come to that in a minute. Uh, they pay lip service to him, especially on Sundays, but to all intent and purpose, he's outside. They may pray, they may do good things, but they are no longer depending on him. There is no more abiding in him. When Jesus said, without me, I am the vine, you, the branches, can do nothing that has been thrown out of the window. It's very sad, isn't it? Very sad. And it's our temptation in the West, because of all the good things that God has given us, to neglect the giver and to be consumed with the gifts. But you might ask, and rightly so, how can Jesus Christ be standing outside of his church? I can understand him standing outside a church that no longer preaches the gospel. But how can Jesus Christ be standing outside any group of believers? How can he be standing outside even a believer that has backslidden, that has gone away from him? It doesn't make sense, does it? How do we explain it? If Jesus Christ has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you, uh, as we sing, I think, in a hymn, which is also biblical, once in him, in him forever, how can he be outside? Have you ever thought about that? Hudson Taylor's got a little commentary on the Song of Songs. And incidentally, the Song of Songs isn't just a love poem between a man and a woman, but an allegory, a picture of our love uh, to Christ. And Hudson Taylor called his commentary Union and Communion. Union and Communion. And that's the key, I think, to understanding uh, this picture of Jesus standing outside. In terms of our union with Christ, he is ever with us. We, we are engaged to him. And that's never going to be broken. We are joined to him. We are members of his body. He is the head of the church. We are the body. That's never going to change. Nothing, not even backsliding, not even lukewarmness, can separate us from the love 
of God in Jesus Christ. Think of a couple that are married. That union stands. But what we're thinking of tonight is Jesus standing outside, and remember this is an illustration as well, in terms of communion with him. Now, what's communion? Union is a state. It's like um, a marital status. Doesn't change. Doesn't matter how you feel about your partner. (laughs) That doesn't affect the marriage union. It doesn't matter... Uh, If you wake up the wrong side of the bed, it doesn't affect your marriage union. But communion is like this, isn't it? Um, I'm not married, but communion is up and down. You you may sometimes uh, love uh, your husband or wife to bits. At other times, uh, you may fall out. So your communion with them fluctuates. There there, there may be times when there's a coldness that comes between you. So to all intent and purpose, there is, as it were, a distance. It's as if they are standing outside. It may not be literally true. Well, it may be. I don't know. But it's the difference between union on the one hand and communion with the other. I think that's very important to emphasize that. So the Laodicean church still had Christ. Christian, you've still got Christ. Don't discourage yourself to the extent where you say, I haven't got anything. I haven't got Christ. You have. But oh. Don't we often lose communion with Christ? Communion with him. Um, Let me come back to the picture by uh, Holman Hunt. Um, Campbell Morgan, who was um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, his predecessor in Westminster Chapel, he gave this illustration. I don't know if it was a true story. Uh, uh, My father and his son was looking at the picture Uh, in St. Paul's Cathedral uh, of the light of the world. And uh, they had this conversation. The son asked, Dad, why don't they open the door? If Jesus, the light of the world, is knocking, why don't the people inside open the door? And the father answered, I don't know. I suppose they don't want to. They don't want to. Think of a Christian who doesn't want to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. But I think the father was too hard. The boy was better, I think. The boy said, no, it's not that. I think I know why they don't want to open the door. They're all living at the back of the house. I think the boy put his finger on it there. It's not that they are unwilling to invite Jesus Christ back in, in terms of enjoying communion with him. Oh no, they've got so distracted with all sorts of other things, even good things. Remember, this was a well-resourced church that they are at the back of the house. They may not even hear him knocking anymore. Oh, my friend, is Jesus at the back of your life? Is Jesus at the back of our church. 
Have we become complacent over the years? Maybe we've felt so privileged and rightly so to belong to this wonderful church with all of its heritage. And in so doing, without realizing it, we've begun sitting on our laurels and we've allowed Jesus Christ to be at arm's length. You know, as someone involved in ministry, you can be a busy preacher. You can go from one conference to the next and still neglect communing with Jesus Christ. Notice Jesus' words. If any man, anyone, I'm reading from the authorized version, if any man hears my voice... What's the emphasis there? He's addressing the church at large, but his plea is to the individual. If any man, if any woman, if any child of mine hears my voice. My friends, isn't it not just us as a company, but you, me, that needs to search our hearts and respond to Jesus Christ. I'm speaking for myself here, but I sometimes find we're a bit like Simon Peter. Uh, you remember the scene at the end of John's Gospel uh, where Jesus has been instructing Simon after his fall to feed his sheep? He asks him three times, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And uh, he exhorts him, feed my lambs. And then uh, Peter sees John. He sees John nearby. And uh, Peter turns to Jesus and says, Lord, what shall this man do? What about him? And Jesus said to Peter, What is that to you? What is that to thee? Singular, thee, singular. Follow thou, singular, me. So Jesus Christ tonight is standing outside maybe the door of our hearts and he wants in he wants communion and he's not just talking to us as a group of people he's talking to you he's talking to me individually and our tendency is to think but what about so and so lord maybe they need to be drawn closer to you well maybe they do but that's none of your business that's none of my business what Jesus is asking is this, what about you? What are you going to do with me tonight? Don't worry about other people. You have got enough on your plates. What about you? I'm struck here by Charles Wesley. He was a believer for many years and he wrote these words. Remember now, he's not thinking of others here in terms of um, saying, why aren't they following closer? He's thinking of himself. And he writes this, depth of mercy. This is a Christian speaking. This is no longer a Laodicean Christian. This is a Christian who's waking up, who's realizing maybe he's cold. And this is his prayer. He sees Jesus as addressing himself. Depth of mercy. Can there be mercy still reserved for me? Oh, Lord, I fear I've used it all up. Can my God his wrath forbear and me, the chief of sinners, spare? I have long withstood his grace, long provoked him to his face, would not listen, would not hearken to his calls, grieved him by a thousand falls. 
that hymn is not in the gospel section of our hymn book. It's in the penitence and restoration section. He is a believer, maybe a man who's been following the Lord for years, but who's drifted and he realizes his state and he wants Jesus to come back to him in communion. Don't we need to come back to him and he to us? Don't we need to start again, ground zero, to repent? That's what Jesus Christ is saying to this church, be zealous. We looked at it last time, verse 19, and repent. What he means there in the original is repent in a hot way. Don't be lukewarm in your coming back to me. Be uh, in earnest in your repentance. Don't we need to start again? Uh, Duncan Campbell, I know some of you have been reading his autobiography, and he was mightily used of God in the Lewis Revival, the middle of the last century. Before that, he was a well-known preacher, a conference speaker of quite high renown. And then God dealt with him. Jesus knocked on his door. And Duncan Campbell was convicted And he realized that he'd lost communion with Christ. Even though he'd become famous, something was not right between him and his Savior. And there's an account. uh, He is in his study and his daughter is speaking to him. I think I've got this right. And uh, he draws a circle in his study. And he's not going to come out of that circle until he's found Jesus Christ again. And didn't his daughter challenge him with a question, Daddy, are you willing to go all the way with God? All the way with God. God was waking Duncan up again, you see. And Duncan was soon invited to Lewis. Uh, Men were moved by the Spirit to invite him to preach. And he arrived uh, on the uh, harbour side. And some deacons met him. And I'll never forget the conversation. I wasn't there, but I read about it. And they asked him, Mr. Campbell, are you walking with the Lord? And he wasn't hot. He wasn't hot at this point. So he said, I don't know. (laughs) Imagine saying that, I don't know. But I do fear him. And the deacon said, that's good enough for us. (laughs) That's good enough for us. Can you see what he was doing? He was saved. He was used of God as a conference speaker. And then he got lukewarm and he realized his condition. And he starts at ground zero. I fear him. That's good enough. Can, Can you say that tonight? I fear him, not in a carnal way, but I do want to obey him. I do want to have a walk again with him. I do want to uh, hear him speak in the word. I do want to have liberty in prayer. I do want uh, to have a burden for lost souls. I do want to know what it is to have those divine appointments. Well, that's a start, isn't it? Start. From ground zero. Very well. That's my first point. Let me hurry to the second point. So the first point, the guest outside, and then he's knocking. He's knocking. Uh, Behold, look, 
I stand at the door and knock. The door and knock. Uh, who is this person? Who is the guest? Uh, he's not some gate crasher. Who is this person who's standing outside wanting to come in? Uh, is he a former resident? Uh, no. He might be allowed in if he was a former resident, but he's more important than that. Who is this person who's standing outside? Is he an important person? Oh, yes, he's more important than any person in this world. But he's more than that. Who is this person that is standing outside? He's the owner of the house. He is the landlord. He is the one who is the head of the church. He is the one who has all power and authority in the heavens. He is the one, if he so wanted, who could smash the door down, but he doesn't behave like that. He wants his people to be willing in the day of his power. But let me say to you, he's the landlord. We haven't got a right to refuse him, have we? He's the landlord. When I lived in Cardiff many, many, many years ago, we had a landlord and he was strict. He was strict. We, we, weren't, allowed, we weren't allowed to uh, kick a football in the house. And the front room was a sanctum. We couldn't touch it. We couldn't touch it. He was strict. We were scared of him. But Jesus Christ isn't like that, is he? He's powerful. He uh, is awesome. But at the same time, he's full of pity. Full of pity joined with power. What a combination. What a combination. And there's a tenderness in Jesus here. He's condescending. Condescending. If any, hear my voice and open to me. What a guest. What a guest. And what I find amazing is a few sentences before, he just says, you're so disgusting because of your lukewarmness, you make me want to be sick. But now he says, oh, come, come, open the door of your hearts and I will come in. Isn't that amazing? Somebody who expresses disgust at the same time says, even though your lukewarmness makes me want to vomit, I love you, and I want to make you into what you're meant to be. I find that combination quite lovely. And what's the door? He's standing outside the door of the church, not the physical door. He's standing outside the heart door. That, that's what we're talking about tonight. Heart religion. The Laodiceans had everything else, but they didn't have heart religion. They didn't have Christ in their hearts. The heart, not the feelings, but the control room of our souls. As the heart is, so is the person. This is the problem. Christ was on their lips. Christ was in their mind. Christ maybe was in their actions. Christ was everywhere, but the one place where he is meant to be, on the throne of our hearts. If Christ is on the throne of our hearts, he will be everywhere else eventually. But there's no point having Christ everywhere else unless he's first on the hearts, the throne. And he's pleading, he's pleading, son, daughter, Give me, what does he want from us tonight? 
He d- yes, he wants our gifts because he's given them to us. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not great gifts he's looking for. Otherwise, not many of us would be able to serve in the church. What is he looking for? He's looking for your heart, son, daughter. Give me your heart. That's what I want tonight. Um, here's uh, one person, the wonder of it, that he seeks to enter such a vile heart and a sin-stained life. By the operation of his spirit, by his grace, he can transform the filthy, barren heart into a fruitful garden. A fruitful garden. Oh, this is a makeover that beats the rest. Uh, Here is a church that's so lukewarm that they've neglected the heart. There's no more spiritual fruit here. Or if there is, it's all bulbs growing underground. And all the weeds have taken over. And it doesn't look attractive. And Jesus Christ says, if you invite me in once again, I, not you in your own strength, but I and you as willing cooperators will transform this and will make it once again into a garden of the Lord. And it will be beautiful and it will be aromatic and people will be drawn to it. You know, it's like some of these houses. Um, do you sometimes like to compare people's gardens? And uh, some gardens, they're not much to look at, are they? They, uh, they certainly don't draw you. But then you see a garden, the colours, the smells, uh, the, the beauty, uh, and it's attractive, it's attractive. My friend, if Christ is in your heart, even if other things are lacking, there's an attraction there traction now what does he do he's knocking did you hear him knocking we don't like to be knocked do we uh, have a door uh, being knocked early in the morning <laughs> I had a phone call uh, a while ago five o'clock in the morning we, we, we don't know where we are at first but Jesus Christ is knocking And it may feel uncomfortable, but oh, I just want to urge us to respond, to respond. How does he knock? He knocks in his word. He knocks in his word. I I was bowled over, if it's all right for me to mention this, in the summer by this. I am the one. You, thou art the man. You are the man, the woman. There's no point thinking that other people are the problem. I'm the problem. Oh, my heart needs to be dealt with. The word, the word convicting us. When did the word last convict us? Jesus knocking. Respond, respond. And then he knocks by his Holy Spirit. Uh, Yes, some people are convicted of sin before they go to the cross of Jesus Christ. They need that conviction in order to frighten them, to flee to the relief of Calvary. Uh, But even if you don't get conviction of sin before you're converted, at some point in the Christian life you are going to be convicted because the one who indwells you is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And sometimes, even without the word, 
we hear him knocking because the spirit points his finger at something that is not right. Is that happening tonight in this little sermon? Uh, he also knocks with the promptings of his spirit. We should never, ever ignore the promptings of the spirits. I remember many, many years ago traveling from Kairgurle where I was ministering to the Bala conference. I was traveling in every day and I was late getting there one morning and I was going to miss the prayer meeting. But I remember now as I was driving to Bala, I had to stop the car in a lay-by because I was being prompted to pray. It doesn't happen that, that often but on this occasion I felt a strong urge that I had to pray and so I stopped the car in the lay-by and I prayed and I discovered later that when I arrived in the conference that they'd had a blessed prayer meeting and the moment I was prompted to pray was the same time as they were beginning liberty in prayer the promptings and of course he knocks in his providences John Flavel described it as the mystery of providence Communion with Christ, yes, in his word, yes, in uh, the promptings of the Spirit, but in providence, in providence. My friends, difficulties, sickness, even bereavement, disappointment, COVID maybe, all of these he can use to wake us up spiritually and get us seeking after him again. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, have you started opening up to him again? In Holman, sorry for mentioning Holman Hunt's painting, but in the painting, there's no door handle on the outside. You can only open the door from the inside. Uh, I don't think that says Jesus isn't in control. He's sovereign. But we are responsible, aren't we? We are responsible to respond to his word, to open to him. Oh, are our hearts open tonight? Do, do we have open palms but more than that do we have open hearts to Jesus Christ master speak said Samuel young Samuel master speak for your servants hears and then finally what does he want what does he want behold I stand at the door and knock the guest outside what is he doing? He's knocking on the door of our hearts. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What does he want? He wants to have a meal with you. He wants to feast with you. Now, what do you do when you have an important person come in and have a meal with you? Do you make sure that the house is clean? Do you dress smartly? Uh, do you go and buy some posh food from Marks and Spencer's? Probably we go out of our way, don't we? Understandably so, because here is an important guest. And yet, what is amazing about the church in Laodicea is Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be at your best. I want you to be poor and beggarly and wretched as you really are. My friends, this is what is amazing about this banquet. It's a beggar's banquet. Jesus Christ here is coming in to a heart that is in a mess. And he doesn't ask the believer to sort themselves out first before he comes in. He says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to give you such a makeover that I will transform your heart. You are responsible, but by my power, you will be changed. You will be transformed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that 
just like Jesus Christ. When you read of him dining with people on earth, who did he go to have meals with? Yes, he had a meal with Simon the Pharisee, but who attended that meal? Uh, an adulterous woman attended that meal. But often he was uh, having food with the tax collectors and the sinners. Now that doesn't mean that we remain in that condition, of course not. But the point is this, a lukewarm church doesn't think there's anything wrong with them. But when they begin to wake up and see that they need Christ, they feel so beggarly, they feel so poor, they feel so empty. And this is the marvel of Jesus Christ. He comes to such a heart. And he's prepared to feast with such people. Who's the most important person you've ever had a meal with? And don't say the pastor of Heath Church. <laughs> I remember once having a meal with Dr. Helen Rosevere. She's preached in this church, I think. I had a meal with Helen Rosevere. Wow! I was sitting this far apart from Helen Rosevere. Imagine having Jesus Christ for a meal. Beggars' banquets. This is the invitation. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Listen carefully to me, he says, and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. I will come and eat with him and he with me. It's mutual. It's not just a one-way conversation. Some important people, they just take over the conversation, don't they? But Jesus Christ is so meek, he wants to hear about you. He wants you to open up to him. He wants you to tell him your problems. And this isn't a McDonald's meal. This is a feast. Have you ever had a meal in somewhere like France? In this country, we have a meal, and after... Um, half an hour or an hour, that's it. We've got to get on with whatever we're doing. But in a country like France, and definitely in the Middle East, and this was especially so in Jesus' day, a meal would have been the high point of the day. People would have spent time eating. They would have been reclining, and they would have been sharing with one another. Oh, this is the kind of meal that Jesus Christ wants to have. You know... When he comes in that way, that communion, time doesn't exist anymore. Eat, not a quiet meal, but the best meal of the day, the best time of the day, lingering, delighting. Those are the kind of words that are used in the commentaries. And what are we feasting on? Do you know what the menu is? Do you know what the menu is? Do you know what the starter is? I am the bread of life. That's the starter. What's the starter? It's Jesus Christ. What's the drink? I am the water of life. Jesus Christ. What's the main course? My flesh is meat indeed. Jesus Christ. What's the dessert? Jesus Christ. The best wine is last. Jesus Christ is what we feed on. Jesus Christ is the one who comes in. Jesus Christ is the one we commune with. Uh, how did um, Top Lady put it? Lord, it is not life to live 
if thy presence thou deny. Lord, if thou thy presence give, tis no longer death to die. This is not our union, but it's our communion with Christ, that known and felt presence. My friend, nothing compares with it. Once you've had a touch of that, you'll never forget it, and you'll never be satisfied with anything less again. Listen to John 14, uh, one of the parallel promises. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come in and make our home with him. And then a little later, he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's what communion with Jesus Christ is all about, a manifestation of Jesus Christ. What's a manifestation? A showing forth. It's as if the church is in a fog. That's what lukewarmness feels like, a spiritual fog. Everything is heavy. The atmosphere is heavy. It's so tiring. It saps you of energy. But, oh, let the sun shine and burn the fog away. And there's a manifestation of the view, is there not? And what a view. A manifestation of Christ to the soul. When did we last have such a view? How did Cooper put it? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed. How sweet their memory still, but they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Where is that blessedness I knew? When first I saw the Lord, where is that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? That's a manifestation of Jesus Christ. Well, I've got to come to a conclusion here. I've been wittering on here. Uh, John Flavel, I've already mentioned him. He said this, strive. I don't want us to think we just sit back and <laughs> let Jesus come. We open the door. We cooperate with him. Strive to come up to the highest attainment of communion with God in this world and be not content with just so much grace as will secure you from hell. Work after such a height of grace and communion with God as may bring you into the suburbs of heaven on earth. Imagine living one foot in heaven. One foot in heaven. Uh, Graydon now is in heaven. He's home. But it's possible for a Christian to live in the suburbs of heaven, even in this world. I've met people who were given that privilege towards the end. Uh, I just want to read um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, The Unsearchable Riches of Christ, one of his best books on Ephesians 3. And he just gives a few examples. Let me close this evening service by just mentioning a few. He talks about a man called Daniel Steele. He was a professor of philosophy uh, and he had been a Christian for 28 years and he wasn't an emotional person by any stretch of the imagination. He was inward looking. <laughs> he was morbid like some of us Welsh people and he wasn't going to be carried away with experience but he had a manifestation of Christ and this is how he describes it. Every week and sometimes every day a pressure of his great love comes upon my heart and my soul and my body. And amid this fullness, there's still a hunger for more. And amid the consuming flame of love, the paradoxical cry is 
on my lips. Burn, 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 O love, within my heart. Burn fiercely, night and day, till all the dross of earthly loves is burned and burned away. And he goes on to put it like this, thinking of the guest coming into the heart. The heavenly tenant of my soul has changed all this. He has unlocked every apartment of my being and filled and flooded them all with the light of his radiant presence. The gardener has come in, you see. It's not just a makeover, but the gardener is living there. The vacuum has become a plenum. Don't ask me what that means. A spot untouched has been reached and all its flintiness has been melted in the presence of that universal solvent. Love divine, all loves excelling. I now wish that I had a thousand heart power to love and a thousand tongue capacity to proclaim Jesus, the one altogether lovely, the complete saviour who is able to save to the uttermost. Oh, it's like swimming in the ocean of his love. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it? Much better than lukewarm. And then uh, there's just one more. I can't help using these examples. Edward Payson. He was a Presbyterian minister in the US in the end and beginning of the 18th and 19th century. And he just puts it like this. Uh, He had a vision of Christ. Oh, if ministers only saw the glory that is before them and the preciousness of Christ... They would not be able to refrain. This is not lukewarm. This is hot. They would not refrain from going about leaping, leaping. Uh, What would happen if I was to do that? Leaping and clapping their hands for joy and exclaiming, I'm a minister of Christ. I'm a minister of Christ. (laughs) And he goes on to say, when I read Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress, his description of the land of Beulah, that's the land next door to heaven, the suburbs of heaven where the sun shines and the birds sing day and night. I used to doubt whether there was such a place, but now my own experience has convinced me of it, and it infinitely transcends all my previous conceptions. We're not here for long, my friends. Who would have thought that Graydon would have gone so quickly? He's across the river. He's in the celestial city. My friends, wouldn't it be wonderful if God was to give us a touch of heaven upon earth here at the Heath as individuals and that we would know what it was like to be in Beulah, in the suburbs of heaven. And it's not that, is it? It's not the place. It's the one, Jesus Christ, who manifests himself to us. Oh, as I said a moment ago, one touch of that, you'll never forget it. Uh, Oh, let Jesus Christ visit you and me in our hearts And oh, let us know again those uh, sweet, sweet, sweet banquets with him for his name's sake. Now let us sing about that. It's love divine, all loves excelling. Again, this is not an evangelistic hymn primarily. It's a hymn about Jesus Christ who's been outside coming in communion into the heart. So it's uh, going to appear on the screen and... Uh, It's uh, number 604, I think, in the hymn book, if you're at home.
Oh, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee. Love divine, uh, seek thou this soul of mine. And help us to open the doors of our heart, Lord, to prepare the way. Lord, we can't do it, but we must. And so make us realize our condition without thee. And help us, O God, uh, to just know that manifestation of Christ, uh, that sweet, sweet, sweet sense of thy presence. And now may his grace and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.